Crusaders and welcome to another edition of Batman, the animated series podcast. I'm your host, Alex Robson, and with me as always is my co-host, my brother, comic book artist and writer, and the guy who thinks Sub-Zero is a frozen Subway sandwich. It's Mr. Will Robson. Say hello, Will. Why do I think that? Because <laughs> we're interviewing what? Randy today and he wrote Sub-Zero, so I'm connecting the dots. What does that have to do with Subway sandwiches? Because it's called Sub-Zero, so it's like a frozen sandwich. Subway sandwich. Why is this so hard? Why is this got over your head? I'm just judging you on your terrible joke, bud. That's all I'm doing. You just laughed, and then you're like, oh, picking I'm laughing at a joke. I laughed because it was so stupidly bad. <laughs> well, okay, let's hear your joke off the cuff, then, to connect the episode today. You didn't today. say that off the cuff. You had it written, but I saw you reading a script. <laughs> you probably worked really hard on that. I did. It took me a while. You were like, ah, Subway sandwich, Sub-Zero, because he's fat and he likes to eat sandwiches. <laughs> Nailed it! He'd even eat it if it was frozen. <laughs> yeah, he's not patient. He's like, give me that frozen sandwich, suck on it like a lolly. <laughs> All right, well. <laughs> Sub-Zero is you when you're not getting any. Oh, what? Because it's just so cold down there? When you're feeling like a sub, not a dom. <laughs> oh, wow, you really, yeah, okay. You're connecting that dot. I see. Okay, moving right along. <laughs> so we got Randy Rogel on today, who is the writer of nine episodes of Batman the Animated Series, including Two-Face Parts 1 and 2 that we just reviewed. Plus, he wrote the Batman Sub-Zero movie and so many more cartoons as well. He's also an Emmy Award winning songwriter and an Emmy Award winning writer as well. Chat with him about loads of stuff. We'll get to that. But first, buddy, how is the art life going for you? It's going pretty damn chill, I'm not going to lie. I've started, uh, I'm taking a break. Sub-Zero? <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Quit while you're behind, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, you're taking a break, yep, keep going. I'm taking a break from drawing uh, commercial comics for now, just for the month of April, because I did a lot of work uh, for DC and it burnt me out, and for Marvel as well. Um, so I'm dipping my toes into other things. I'm I'm doing some designs for a video game for a large company. Um, and I'm having a lot of fun. It's a very different experience to drawing comics. Um, it's kind of chill and I'm kind of vibing with that. I'm not going to lie. So you might well, have. That's, that's the, that's the calmest response I've ever had from you about the art life. It's either like extreme high or extreme low, right? It's never been like, I'm coasting and I'm actually kind of enjoying it. And it's nice and it's calm and like. Yeah. Just enjoying the spoils. Uh, you're just well, chilling. It's very creative, creatively fulfilling because I'm designing characters for this game. Um, so I don't have to draw any like backgrounds. I don't have to do any storytelling. And I, I'm drawing a lot of robots, which are very easy. So I don't have to get any anatomy right. So I, I'm kind of just turning my brain off and I'm rewatching the original series of Pokemon as I draw it. <laughs> <laughs> and I've been loving it. Like I've been working nine to five, but not like... When I work 9 to 5 drawing comics, it's like, I've got to fit in drawing this book into 9 to 5. I'm only drawing. But now I'm like, ah, I'll take a little lunch break and I'll take a little, you know. I'll go, I'll so take you're the living dog for a like stroll. a normal person. I'm experiencing what it's like to actually work, like, non-freelancing for, like, a company. And, like, I like the other day I said, like, oh, I'm going to visit my dad and then it's my wife's birthday. Is that going to be a problem? They're like, no, please take the days. It's absolutely fine. I was like, oh, what? <laughs> do i have to like do something after like it's some sort of death trap that i have yeah. to escape um so yeah i might just give it all up and do this instead <laughs> oh 
not just I focus mean, on making my own books instead of drawing books for these large companies because uh, the, my quality of life is very good right now. So we'll see how it goes. That sounds perfect to me. Speaking of creative stuff, I got an email from Outbreaks today. Why don't you tell us what's going on and all the people that pledged their hard-earned yes. money? Yes, so if you uh, have pledged to my Kickstarter, which is fully funded, thank you very much, everybody. I just got the funds through for it. So I've started, you know, separating out that cash and spending it. And it's been great. Like I bought uh, barcodes for it so that make it officially listed. Like in Planet Earth, I have like a certificate being like, this is the official barcode for your product. I was like, it's a real product now. Oh, my <laughs> God. Um, and I also, what else did I buy? Oh, I paid uh, the colorist because he remember he colored the first four pages for the Kickstarter as a preview package. So I've already sent him it. Uh, my wife has like now become like the admin person of the company. This morning she set up the most professional looking, like uh, what are they called? Not pay stub, uh, invoice. Like it has my Speech Comics logo at the top. She set up like a new email address just for invoicing, and like she's like, "You got to do all this shit legitimately because if it picks up as a business, you need the paper trail for it and stuff." And I was just sitting there, you know, just drawing, just like doing flats for the book. Like, yeah, 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 absolutely right. <laughs> living my best life right now no she weirdly enjoys admin especially if it's something that's gonna you know get her further in life so we're a very good team that way so i was very happy for her to take the reins on that so yeah I i'm in a really good place right now because uh, i'm earning good money i'm uh doing work that's way less taxing where i can actually go out in the evenings or take some time off if i want to and i'm producing my own comic books so yeah i, I made the good times roll basically that sounds great, but I'm really pleased Thank you. to hear that. Yeah, and issue two will be coming out at some point this year. I haven't decided yet, but I've been talking to the printers, and I'm getting it all ready, and they're going to send me samples, and all this great stuff. And uh, me and my wife are going to, uh, we said on this, because we sent out surveys uh, for it, and we said, like, hey, would you would like to be uh, potentially filmed getting your package put together and a chance to win a free prize? Because... My wife came up with the idea of like, you should film on for social media, you like putting the packages together because she's like, I watch that shit all the time of people like running their own businesses and packaging stuff up and sending it off. I was like, that sounds fun. Let's 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 do that. So, you got to do it anyway. Yeah. Why yeah. Not? That's cool. Nice. All right. Well, that's really cool. Should we move on to a Capes Capers scenario now? Yeah. Yes. Showtime. The Joker's escape from Arkham Asylum, Robin. All work and no play, you know? It's gonna be one of those nights. I don't have time for jokes. Hey, no problemo, Batman. Quiet! Come on, let's do a pizza run. You don't touch anything, say anything, or do anything unless I tell you! Got it? Relax. You've had a busy day. Right, this week's Cape Papers has been written in by listener Tyler West. Tyler has said, Robin's gym teacher is off sick, and Batman reluctantly agrees to fill in for the day. However, he's ashamed to see that Dick Grayson is a mediocre gym student at best, and has a tough time hiding his disgust as not to give away Dick's secret identity. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, surely Bruce would be his uh, uh, gym teacher in the sense of 
at like school. school. Okay, not, yeah, yeah. not like martial arts teacher. Yeah, jeez, Batman. I'm like between not the like ages of 10 at, and 22, Batman. Come not, on. Not like at the gym pumping iron or anything. Okay. I can see Alfred getting a letter. It's just like, sir, um, it's your it's your annual fill-in at, at, at school day. You have to fill in at school today, sir. Um, I know what? it's last minute. <laughs> well, I, I mean, it's last minute, but it's something you signed up to do. It's like part of the parent-teacher conference thing. Where you... I am not that kid's parent, Alfred. Well, sir, it says right here that uh, you're needed in gym class to teach young Master oh, Grayson. I can, I can swing some gym. I'm pretty good. You know, look at these big guns. Oh, yeah, yeah there's a bit of no, a stipulation. No, you got to take a look. Oh, <laughs> I've been really focusing on my traps recently. What do you think? Ah. Well, sir, there's a bit of a stipulation. because Bruce I'm really no- fishing for a compliment right now, Alfred. Um, yes, sir, you look fantastic. All right, moving on. Okay, so because Bruce Wayne knows Batman... Um, it's actually been requested that you don't show up, but Batman shows up in your place to teach the children at school. Do you think you could maybe muster up a little yeah, bat costume and run I them look, down? I look well swollen in my costume, Batman, Bruce, Bat, <laughs> Alfred, whatever your name is. <laughs> I'm ready to go. Let's do it. You think okay, I'd be so- confrontational about this, but I'm I'm in. <laughs> Anything to show off. All right, so they're at the school, okay, and... <laughs> All the kids come in, including Dick Grayson, who has no idea that right, so his teacher's a substitute. Batman's not in there, and it just goes, Bonum, 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 Aye, 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 aye! And then from the, from the rafters, Batman flies down. <laughs> He's just running around with his cape yeah. out, like holding it. And there's a, there's a huge obstacle course set up, and he's doing the whole thing. Like jumping through hoops and like climbing ropes and stuff. And he just looks at everybody and he goes, Batman! <laughs> that is my name! <laughs> oh, Millions of villains Put them to shame <laughs> <laughs> And, he, and does, the, he does the whole song <laughs> all, the, all the kids are just like When are we going to do gym? <laughs> Alright kids Today we're doing the bat obstacle course And the main prize today Is whoever wins Gets to be my new Robin <laughs> Dick Grayson Dick's is there. <laughs> so go ahead, oh go ahead, react as, as Dick Grayson. Are you t- are you telling me that maybe in the gym class is also Jason Todd? Pretty cool Tim guy Man. we got in this class today. I know he's not really a student here, but he's subbing in for another student. His name is uh, Jason Todd. Two first names. Pretty cool guy. No Batman. No cap. Ah, yeah, no cap. I don't wear a cap, and neither do you. <laughs> we got Tim Drake there as well. Why not? Just Tim Drake, yeah. Drink. Tim Drake, show me his NFTs. And... <laughs> yes. Got a lot and invested he, in crypto. And excuse yeah. me, Mister Bruce. I mean, Mister Batman. I'm here too. You know, my name's Dick Grayson. Remember me? Nope, never met you in my life. <laughs> not looking forward to ever getting to know you anymore. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, so basically, the old Robin is kind of a piece of shit. And... <laughs> Hey! <laughs> Hi. Excuse me, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Batman. Um, I wouldn't speak about people that aren't here right now. Let's talk behind their back, and my teacher says that's bad. Well, your teacher's out for the day, kid. <laughs> I'm here. 
And we're going on a crazy train. <laughs> Does it again? I am the whole song again. <laughs> Batman. <laughs> that is my name. Millions of sidekicks. <laughs> it could be you, not Dick. Uh, okay, so the so, obstacle course happens. Yeah, Dick's gonna be gonna like roll up his short sleeves, <laughs> right, and be like, "If I, I really gotta prove myself to the Batman, so I can be the true Robin." Okay, so I was a trap. I was in the circus, a trapeze artist. I can do this. Okay, here we go. All right, ready. Three, two, and he slips and falls and falls flat on his face, and everyone laughs. That was like eliminated. (laughs) (laughs) Jason helps him out, like, whoa, 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 come on, kid, I'll help you out here, no cap. No, don't touch me, you're mean, Mr. Jason. Whoa, cap, cap. You might be replacing me. I mean, rabbits. Barbara, so, okay. Barbara Gordon's there as well, doing a great oh, job. Yeah. Why the fuck not? Carrie Kelly's there too. Just throw yeah, all Carrie Kelly. Yep, yeah. nice deep so, cut. Even Alf, I'll have a, I'll have a go. Yeah, being Robin. Yeah. <laughs> I've always, I've always wanted to be the sidekick, sir. <laughs> See, just some old man is like onesie. Yeah, just oh. like a classic, like old timey gym outfit. He's like doing some starting squats and stretches. Yeah, like a 50s wrestler or something. Yeah. Like, you know, oh, that'd be amazing. Okay, so I was thinking that maybe the gym class is interrupted by a villain, right? Okay. We haven't done we haven't done villains. Uh, the villains, off the top of my head, we haven't done Clayface. So we do Clayface. Maybe he's pretending to be someone there. Or... Oh, great. Just do that. Can... So it's, it's down to Jason Todd and uh, Dick Grayson, right? They're on the final thing. Oh, I love and, this. Okay. And uh, Dick Grayson's just about to do it. But then Jason Todd's arm stretches out and pulls him back before he could do it. And oh, Jason Todd buddy. goes through. And Batman's like, what? Jason? Like, And he's like, uh, well, who is who is Clayface going to be? Um, Tony Soprano? <laughs> yeah, because he's so yeah. sludgy. I love that. <laughs> Someday. <laughs> and that day may never come. <laughs> I'm going to be your sidekick. It was much sludgy breathing as well. <sighs> Fucking get this dick little gumad out of here, huh? <laughs> you talking about me? Uh, look, what you don't understand, kid, is I'm going to be the next Robin. <laughs> I can look like anybody he wants. I could be Jason. I could be Carrie. I could be Barbara. You don't know who these people are, but they're very important to Batman. <laughs> you know, with, crazy. with me, you got connections. You got... You got clay. You got clay. <laughs> the building foundation of life. <laughs> all right, so what does Batman think about all of this? I'm down. He won. <laughs> and Alfred's like, actually, sir, you said a student is the one who would su- surpass. And since he is not Jason Todd, he is actually disqualified. Therefore, making... Dick Grayson, the new Robin! I'm Robin! Wait a minute, I'm Robin already! (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yay! Well, the problem here is that you're in a classroom full of other students who now know that you're Robin, so you can't be Robin. Because then everyone would know Robin's secret identity. That's that's not very no camp with you, Mr. Batman. I don't think you're using that right. <laughs> Where's Jason Clayman? He'll know what's going on. Clayman. Oh, Clayface. I can't believe I got disqualified. 
out again. This is fucking crazy. <laughs> Janice. <laughs> damn Janice disqualified. He's just talking to the walls. <laughs> he but starts doing like everybody brick. from The Sopranos. <laughs> it does the whole season. <laughs> oh god, that'd be amazing. I just love Tony Soprano Clayface seeing him like I don't know at the local pizza shop. Oh, it's fucking pizza, it's pretty fucking good. Oh, it's really <laughs> fucking good pizza. <laughs> I could have been just dripping everywhere. Oh, oh. I could have been the I could have been the Dark Knight sidekick. Oh, <laughs> the acting <laughs> role of a lifetime. If he just became a giant wedge of cheesy pizza, like just that's Clayface. <laughs> yeah. Just a giant piece of gabagool. <laughs> he is the gabagool. <laughs> I'm a gabagool. It's, Robin, it's gabagool face. <laughs> Albert's like, well, you do have that temporary mind wiping stuff. There you go. Done it for you, sir. Alfred, could you fuck off, please? <laughs> You're also disqualified because it's supposed to be just students. Whoa, Batman, what are you doing here? This is my gym class. You're not supposed to be here. You don't know me. <laughs> I mean, How deep yeah. does this work? Until he's like, go, 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 go. I sound the same. <laughs> I sound I the same. Be, I might be 11 or 22. We don't know. We don't know. And that's Robin and Batman go to gym class. Ga 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 Alright, if you enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to leave us a five-star rating and a written review on whatever platform you're listening to us on right now, as it helps us back grapple up the charts and attract both new listeners and guests. And if you leave a review, we'll read it out on the pod in our new You've Got Mail segment at the end of each episode. Plus, tell a friend about the pod or share it on your socials, as that's the fastest way to grow podcasts. Also, go follow us on social media at BatmanTASPod on Instagram, on TikTok, on Facebook, on YouTube, everywhere but Twitter, which is at BatmanTASPod1. And that's because why, buddy? Because we are the number one Batman the Animated Series podcast. Goddamn right. And on our socials or in the description of this episode, you'll find our Linktree account, which includes a tip jar where you can give us any amount of money you can afford to give if you so wish. Podcasts cost money and have become even harder to monetize these days, and as we aren't billionaire playboy philanthropists, any amount you can afford to give us is not necessary, but always greatly appreciated. And finally, you can follow me everywhere at Chef Alex Robson, and you can also follow Will on his socials to stay up to date on what he's working on now and get a glimpse into the way they become a guy who's a writer. Will, where can I listen to find you? Uh, anywhere at Robson Inc., and that's Robson, I-N-K, on the internet. That's right. All right, we'll delay no further. Let's get into our chat. Emmy Award-winning writer Randy Rogel, shall we? Let's do it. Hello, Cape Crusaders. Please join me in welcoming a very special guest to our show. He's a writer that has penned nine episodes of Batman the Animated Series, as well as the 1998 Batman Sub-Zero movie, plus 85 episodes of the Animaniacs, and wrote the lyrics to songs included in Animaniacs, Peter Pan 2, Freakazoid, and loads more. Please welcome Randy Rogel to the show. Randy, how are you doing today? Well, thank you for that lovely introduction. Alexander. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I got Alex my full name there. <laughs> is it Alex or Alexander? Uh, I love Alex, please. Alexander, Alex. that's when I'm in trouble. 
So good. Okay. <laughs> and Will's here as well, everybody, of course. I am also here. Hello. <laughs> Will, now not William and Alexander. Well, you, you sound so ro- regal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you are British, so I suppose. Yes, we are. Yes. Yeah, uh, although we didn't tell you um, off pod, we grew up in New Jersey, actually. We moved there when oh, we really? were very, yeah, very young, and um, I lived out in the States for 17 years. And Will, what were you, like 14 years? A little less, something like that. Uh, 11, 11 years or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. A bit more. I can't 11 remember. years in New Jersey. Where were you in New Jersey? Uh, uh, so we were in um, like North Bergen Jersey. County. Yeah, Bergen County. You picked up those lovely erudite British accents in New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, Randy. I had an American accent uh, just to fit in. And then uh-huh. I went to university and realized that my English accent did a lot better with the opposite sex. So I changed it right back. Um, you know we say you know we Americans say that when whenever you're talking to a, a, someone with a British accent they're they're you, you give them additional you know 50 IQ points just immediately goes to <laughs> that British uh, accent sounds so knowledgeable no we're it? both big dum-dums it's fine <laughs> well we'll get the best of the best out of you then today is that right yes quiet <laughs> <laughs> rather yeah, rather. I said. <laughs> so for our listeners, um, those that don't know, you wrote nine episodes of Batman, which were Two-Face parts one and two, Tiger Tiger, The Mechanic, Robin's Reckoning parts one and two, Paging the Crime Doctor, Riddler's Reform and Make Em Laugh. So lots of great episodes in there, Randy. But when we, when we start at the start with two-face parts one and two from what i know alan burnett conceived the story so how did you and alan burnett kind of come together and how did you collaborate and work on this and what was it like writing for batman for the first time well alex you've taken me back to the beginning of my career at least in hollywood because i'd come down to hollywood uh and to become uh you know because i'd gone off to college i'd done all kinds of other things corporate but i wanted to work in film and television so i came down to los angeles sleeping on a friend's couch uh trying to find a place and i began writing spec scripts i i was thinking i was going to just go on to you know a normal live action show for the the shows that were being done then and a friend of mine Kelly Ward, I don't know if you know Kelly. He's been quite successful himself. He's successful as an actor. He was in the movie Grease with John Travolta. He was one of the leads in that. He did the big red one. He's got a spectacular career. He's a voiceover director now. But he was working in animation over at Hanna-Barbera. Okay. And he was a producer there. And then he was, and I think then he'd gone to Universal. So we'd been friends, you know, since I knew him growing up. And uh, we began talking. And he said, well, you know, I think there's this new show being developed over at Warner Brothers. And it's they're going to do a new Batman show. And it's it's an, and I remembered Batman because I grew up as a kid reading Batman. So I knew the character. But he said, um, yeah, it's this animated show over at Warner Brothers. And I said, oh, man, I don't know anything about animation. He said, well, no, I think they're trying to do this. Like, you know, real movies, it's, it's got kind of a dark feel. They want to give it a real feel, you know, a real feel to it. And so he just called over to the producer over there. Her name was Barbara Simon, I remember. Said, yeah, I've got this fellow who's, you know, good writers, look interested, right? And they wouldn't even burn a stamp to, to send me the uh, the 
the Bible, do you know what a Bible is in, in when you were writing a show? Does that mean anything to you? Yeah, it's is kind it, of like this is the, the realms you're working in, right? Like the rules right. to this universe. Right. Well, you know, the show Batman, so there's a, you know, there's a character of Bruce Wayne and, and Dick Grayson and all, you know, uh, Commissioner Gordon, and they tell you who the characters are and kind of this kind of story ideas they want to do. So everybody's writing the same show. Will, do you get these for like DC and stuff? Like I that? wish I got these. The amount of times. I talked to my editors being like, I need to know who this character is. And then they just send me like the first Google image of this character in the Wikipedia. I'm like, that does not help. No, that's not good. You know, what you do when you're developing a show, it's incumbent upon you as the show creator and, you know, the story editor, or the producers, you lay out what's the world. I mean, just for execs too, to look at it and say, is this the show we want to do? But once, you know, it is, and you're moving forward and you want to bring on a writing staff, I got to say, okay, here's our major characters and here's what we're trying to do. Here's the thrust of the show, the feel of the show. So you go, oh, okay, I get it. I'm right. You know, I'm not writing a kid, a preschool show. I'm writing an adult show and here's the character. So they had a very, uh, a very nice Bible, but anyway, I had to drive over there. I picked it up and I, you know, I read through it and I thought, oh yeah, well, I, you know, I, I, I totally, I get this. They let you keep the Bible, or is it something you have? To oh yeah, about? oh sure. The Bible is a you know that's for distribution. You still have and, it? Uh, oh, I probably have it somewhere in one of my bo- you know one of my. Oh boxes man, that would be. I mean, if you did, I bet that's probably worth a pretty penny now. Or just really oh, cool really? to see because that's the. I know I have it. I have it for Animaniacs. I have it for Batman. All these shows I worked on, but wow. um, as I read through it, I remember they had a sample script, and and I read it, and the script had been written by Paul Dini. And I think Tom Ruger had contributed to it too, uh, at least made one of the story ideas. And it was the Poison Ivy called Pretty Poison. Yeah. It was the first point. And the minute I read, you know, Paul is just a terrific writer. In fact, you know, I've known Paul for years. Paul and I shared a, a, a an office together at Disney. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we're pretty close friends. But at that time, I didn't even know who Paul was, but I read it and I went, oh, I totally get this, you know, from reading that script. So I wrote a spec script, which was a really pretty cool little spec script, I remember. And I submitted it. I, I went in to drop it off. And everybody, it was at like over at Warner Brothers Animation. And I just walked in at the right moment because there was nobody there. They'd all gone to lunch, I guess. Pretty big studio, too. And the, even reception wasn't there. So I just walked down to Barbara Simon's office, you know, the producer where I saw her name. on the, and, I went, and I put my script right on her desk. What was so, the what was the spec script? Can you share what the story was? It was called the Ape Man. The Ape Man. And okay. The Ape Man. Yeah, I still have it. It's a, a, a it was a pretty cool little script, but you know, I didn't know much about animation, and it, but you know the so I think some of the shots I put in, they go, no, no, we can't do that shot, but they they you know the story and the dialogue and all that worked. But I just remember, you know, in those days, you know, and it probably it's the same way now. You know, you call in to you know a producer, and and you always get their receptionist. Hi, this is Randall Gale calling. You want to talk about the show? They go, oh well, she's in the meeting right now. Can't you leave a message, and she'll call you back. And of course, you never get that call back, right? Right. So, uh, so I dropped off that script, so I knew when she came back from lunch, it would be sitting right there in front of her. Right. So then I call the next day, of course. And um, talking with receptionist, I go, yeah, it's Randy Rogel following up, and she said, oh, okay, hold on, please. And then I hear, hold for Barbara Simon, please. I thought, oh, I'm getting through. And Barbara picks up the phone. She was a lovely woman. She picked up the phone and said, Randy. And I went, oh, my God, she knows my name. This is like a good sign. (laughs) And she said, I read your script and I loved it. So I gave it to the producer who's coming on over and he liked it and he wants to meet you. And I thought, 
Oh, great. And that would be Alan Burnett, who was coming over. They had two other people who were running Batman at the time. Yeah, but they yeah. Sean Catherine different... Derrick was one of them. Yeah, I knew yeah. Sean and uh, Sean Derrick and Lauren Bryce. Sean, just a lovely, lovely, lovely woman. I really liked Sean. But I think Sean was writing a different show than Eric Radomski and Bruce Tim had in mind. Right. And there, theirs was much more, you know, Sean, I think, had worked more in children's programming, was directing it towards that demographic. But I think Bruce, if you ever saw the initial sizzle reel that Bruce and, and, and Eric made, um, it was really a cool looking little thing and had, you know, real dark feel to it. In fact, I, I think I'm right on this. Eric was, you know, because Bruce is just a brilliant, brilliant artist and animator and character designer and all that. It was Eric, if I remember right, when we were talking, he's the guy who came up with the idea of drawing on black backgrounds. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. See, because normally they just do a clear cell, right? It's totally yeah, bright. Right. If you want tiny tunes or something, it's really bright. But Eric, that was very innovative. And I remember yeah, one of the calling the phrase Dark Deco, if I remember. Yeah, that's a very good way to say it, Dark Deco. And and I remember one of the one of the old woman who was a colorist and all that, and she was there. She goes, this show's too dark. No one's going to be able to see it. I thought, no, I don't think so. <laughs> but anyway, I mean, I'm not an artist. I couldn't draw to save my life. But so that's the feel that they wanted. And so Jean had worked, Jean McCurdy, who I just saw two days ago over at Warner Brothers. She's uh, retired now, but she was the president of Warner Animation at the time. And she's responsible for all of that. You know, she guided that ship with all of us. Right. But uh, so Jean had worked with Alan, who is a authentic genius, Alan Burnett. Really, a, a top match. I mean, he when he came on board, yeah, the show. As I said to you off, Bob, when you guys wrote the Two Face oh. episode, we we saw that shift into what the show we remember suddenly yeah. became. You know, it, and I, it really I give, changed its tone. Uh, and I give Alan credit for that because I went over to meet Alan, and they just put him in his office. They brought him over, and so he was looking. Okay, what is this Batman? He was, and he was very respectful to what Bruce. And Eric had an initial vision, but Alan's the right, you know, he's the one who really can bring the stories too, um, not just the look and feel of the show. And so I remember I went in to meet Alan. I didn't even get into his office, Alex, because, you know, I knocked the door, he opened up the door and I could see there was another writer sitting across from his desk, you know, and he goes, yes. And I go, yeah, I'm, I'm Randy Rogel. Um, he said, oh, yeah, yeah. He said, listen, I really liked your script. Now, listen, I don't have any room for you on my staff. I've already been gearing up, but um, I just wanted to know who you were. I said, well, good. I, I want you to know who I am. Right. <laughs> yeah. So I left. So then I had this idea for another script. So I wrote this other, this other Batman episode, which, uh, which was a, a pretty poison episode, as I recall. And uh, I mean, excuse me, it was a poison ivy episode. I'm trying to think of it now. It's called Eye of the Beholder. It was either her or some other female character, but it was a really cool little script. And I brought that in and I gave it to him. And he said, oh, you didn't need to do this. He said, you know, I had the other story. I said, well, I had this idea. And I thought, you know, so I did. So then he called me that night. And it was like 1130 at night. <laughs> and he said, I'm not bothering you. I might go, no, Alan, you're not bothering me. And he said, all right, I'm going to buy this script. And I said, oh, thank God. And he says, well, I tell you what. I have a script that I want to do, but I've written the story for it. So I'm going to take the story credit, but you write the script. How's that? And it's a, it's Two-Face, who I didn't even know who that was, right? Wow. So he says, be in my office 10 o'clock tomorrow morning, right? So I show up bright and early there, and he gives me the outline. And it was a very cool little outline. 
and we we talked about a little bit, and then they found out I wasn't in the union. I had no, you know, they they couldn't hire me. Like I had to join the mm-hmm. union, but he sent me up to Barbara Simon to sign, you know, to get a deal and all that. <laughs> I'll never forget Barbara looking at me because she really liked me because I I had no experience in this, and she said, "So you've got hired to write this script. Good for you." She says, "So what are you going to do, Randy?" And I said, "Well, I'm I'm going to write the script. Yes, but what else are you going to do?" And I, I couldn't quite get what she was getting. I said, well, I'm going to read the thing. She goes, you're going to do Alan's outline, right? You're going to follow his outline. You're not going to go off and take it to a different place. You're gonna, in other words, she was saying, yeah, follow the advice. outline the guy gave you. And I went, oh, yes, of course, of course. You. Yeah, yeah. So then then I, I wrote it. And then um, I you know, was able to add some nice other stuff to it. And I brought it back. And Alan liked it. It went into production. Everybody was liking it. And because Two-Face, you know, it's, we, we made it a two-parter because it's a two-face yeah. episode, and it was his origin. So then I went back to Alan, and I said, hey, do you have an idea for the second part? And, and he goes, no, actually, I don't. I said, well, I do. He goes, well, what is it? So I told him. He goes, I really hate that idea. And I said, well, <laughs> what was your recollection of your second part? Oh, God, and- Alex, I, I I don't even remember now what I, what okay. I have. But I did say... Um, well, how about this then? I had another idea. And he goes, well, now that I like, he said, I'll tell you what, how'd you like to be on my staff? And that, so that, that, and I said, oh, I'd re- that would be wonderful. So they did that. So I came on board pretty early because um, there were four story editors and just me, the writer, everybody else was, wow. it was freelance, but I was a staff writer. So I was like, Alan had me hopping. I mean, I was just writing on everything with Michael Reeves, with uh, Marty Pascal, with Paul Dini was also a story editor and Alan. And so I was like the gang writer, right? And one thing after, or, you know, you take an idea, they have flesh it out and then send it back to them and it would go back, you know, because when you're on a staff, people are sharing ideas. You may work on something, but then it goes to a writer who eventually writes it, you know, but you're involved in all the story stuff. And so then the, the second half came out and and did really well and then you know we went just from i was on board and i was just writing after that so uh i really alan really kind of guided me along and uh you know we all have a mentor that that helps us and he was mine that's well, what a mentor as well that's awesome. yeah that's that's incredible and um i wanted to actually ask you a couple of questions if you can remember from this two-faced story because there's a couple of scenes in it that really stand out to me uh one is in the second part uh, um i don't know if you remember but when Grace sees him as Two-Face for the first time, he's got half a ha- sort of handkerchief over his face with his eye. And I was wondering if that was something that was sort of uh, inspired by the original Fly movie at all. When You know, the- you know what? That might have been the... the uh, it, it could have been just for the... How do you say? The necessities of the animation. But whoever was uh, added that, that was not my idea to add the cloth. To right. it. I, I, that wasn't enough. I mean, he would have put on a mask or something, you know, done something a little bit more dramatic. But that, that's how I remember that happening. Do you, do you remember who, who boarded that? Was it Kevin Altieri? Who, who, I think who? it was. I think it was Altieri. Yes. Yeah. So Kevin's great. So that probably was a Kevin. Kevin probably did that. And he would know that. I mean, Kevin's like an encyclopedic knowledge of all other movies and things. So right. it didn't surprise me. Okay. I did. I did catch him on something, though, one time. I remember. I, I don't know if it was this episode or no, but Batman, you know, swoops in the middle of the night, you know, and he comes to a door and he tried to open the door, but the little chain lock was on it, but there was nobody inside. 
So I said, Kevin, how, how, how did the chain get on the lawn? He went, oh, you're right. He, he removed that. <laughs> <laughs> I said, someone can't leave the apartment and move the chain up. <laughs> someone's inside. The other thing I was, I was thinking of was um, in the first part, I, I'm not sure how much this was in the original books or mm-hmm. if this was something that you guys added, or maybe this is something that was in a, Alan's original uh, story pitch. Outline, yeah. But mm-hmm. what, what's interesting for Two-Face in this universe is he starts as Harvey Dent with already a problem um, with a potential split personality disorder. And that's mm. something that's not really explored uh, otherwise. It's usually the moment he gets scarred is when he suddenly has this dual personality. But this this really uh, focuses on that before he ever gets scarred on one side. And I don't know if you have any memory of any yeah, of that. Because we wanted to make Batman you know, real, not just very cartoony. We started exploring issues of what, you know, what creates a character, what, how, you know, because you think about it, the original Batman, especially that old sixties one, when I was a kid, you know, it was very campy and, and uh, there was no explanation why they're themed villains, you know? And so we thought, how do we bring this into the real world? And there, there are two villains in the Batman universe that off the top of my head, I don't know if I can think of any others that are who they are, not because it's their fault. And one would be Harvey, and the other one is Mr. Freeze, who I've written for both of those. In fact, we did a movie. I did a movie for, for Mr. Freeze called yeah, Sub Zero. And, and so that you know that gives you some compassion for them that they just kind of you know were dealt a bad hand. But we wanted to set up. Yeah, you know, why would Harvey be so inclined to you know, to have this dual personality? You know, there has to be something in, deep inside his psyche, and that's why I had Batman saying, you know, there's no there's no shame in taking some some therapy harvey you know because he would we put it in that he just had this terrible temper and you've known people who have just a real bad temper mm. and then they try to call you know, they can be abusive you know but then they calm down also and they usually they're very apologetic afterwards you know so there's something deep down there in, in rooted and so when when harvey would lose his temper he would really lose his temper and people would be kind of like shocked you know so all it takes to put him over the edge and that thing splits right into i remember i wrote that you know because alan I think had had him having a dream. So when I opened it up, he was crossing his bridge, he was falling, and and it's, you know, Harvey, Harvey, and, and the words that are being spoken when he wakes up, those are the words that are being spoken to him at that time. He was just hearing them differently in his head. But uh, that, you know, I remember one time um, a writer sent a script to me. He was trying to, you know, he wanted to get a writing assignment on the Batman show. And so I said, okay. And I read a script and it had to deal with uh, like vampires. And uh, I I remember writing back, I'm saying, you know, the reason Batman is so cool is because you can kill him. He's he's not like Superman. I mean, in other words, if if some guy rich enough wanted to be whacked out and go out at night, he could actually kind of do this. So we keep it in the room. We give a reason for even like someone as fantastic as Clayface. We give him an, an explanation in the real world. Well, he had, you know, that makeup that, you know, mm-hmm. when every pore of his skin. In other words, there's an explanation in the natural world that can tell you why he is the way he is. I said, so you start doing vampires. Now we're taking it to the supernatural. Now we can have dragon. Now we're going to go to Game of Thrones. You know, you, know, you, you want to, whatever you do, keep it, give an explanation that works in the natural world. And you notice that's our, now, finally, we got away with that. We got away from that when they started doing Razagul. Right. But in the beginning, it was, all, you know, everybody, 
it was re- it could be real, and that's what makes it kind of cool that that actually that you know this could actually happen under these circumstances. Yeah, absolutely, and that's what makes Batman's Rogues Gallery the best in comics, in my opinion, yeah. is that they're just all so mm-hmm. grounded and have a really great backstory and and characterization to them. So uh, you mentioned Sub Zero, so let's let's shift gears into that now because that is obviously the follow-up to Mask of the Phantasm, which was like the next big animated series movie. Um, what was it like collaborating on that? Like, what was the process like? I know you worked with Boyd Kirkland on that, who was the director as well. And, you know, obviously we can't, we don't have the chance to speak to Boyd anymore, sadly. So, yeah, can you talk us through that experience with Sub-Zero? Yeah, let me let me really sing Boyd's praises here. Boyd was the hardest working guy I've ever seen. And he was Mormon too. He had this really, you know, incredible work ethic. And um, I remember towards the end, he was getting disillusioned with him. I remember he was talking to me about that. But um, Boyd directed as many or most of the Batman episodes, I think. I mean, if you look at all of them. A a lot of them, yeah. I would say definitely in the double digits for sure. Yeah, if you had everybody who directed, I bet he directed more or he's tied with somebody, you know, for that because he, he really was in the Batman universe and everybody loved Boyd. And so Boyd, the way it works, Alex, sometimes if, if you know if you're on a show and it's going really well, and now your deal is going to be re-upped, they want to sign you for another three years or something, you can ask for something. And he Boyd wanted to do a movie. And so Warner Brothers said, okay, you know, we'll give you the budget for a, a straight video movie. And so he got that in his deal, and he was really excited. He wanted to do a Batman movie. And so then he, but boy, he was kind of a, a, a good story guy, but he wasn't really a writer. He was an artist, you know, a character designer, animator. He knew all that side of it. But when it came to story, that just wasn't his main thing. So he came to me and he said, hey, how would you like to write? Because he'd seen other stuff and we'd work together. He said, I, I got this movie. You want to write it? And uh, we can write it together. You know, and I thought, okay. So I came on board and what it ended up really doing is, you know, he produced it. We said it was written by me and him, and it was produced by him and me, because that's really kind of how the labor laid out. But I don't know if you've heard this story, but we were going to do Bane was was the character. No, I've never heard this. Okay, here's the story on this. We, We chose Bane to do, and I guess that was Boyd's idea. He liked the character of Bane. Because, you know, the Warner Animation Batman was built, was created in conjunction with the live action movies. Remember Tim? Um, Tim Burton and Joel Schumacher, uh, Tim, right? Yeah, right. Tim, well, no, that, Joel Schumacher wasn't in that. With The very first one by Tim Burton, the very first Batman movie did well. So it became the studio's, you know, big movie. You know, it kept making more of them. So they thought, well, let's make a companion piece in the animated series. But the animated series really diverged from what the, yeah. you know, what the live action movies were. And so, we've we've also discovered actually developed storylines for the movies going forward that they use, right? So yeah. Joel Schumacher's Batman Forever, we noticed loads of similarities and Bob Skier pointed this out to us as well as Batman and well, Robin, you know, taking Mr. Freeze's storyline, for example, that was Paul Dini's idea in the first place. Yeah, and your yeah, two-faced coin flipping in part two is used Directly in Batman Forever. Yeah, of course. Yeah, your two-faced way yeah. chucks the box of coins. Yeah. 
Yeah, that in fact, I remember when I wrote the the the, the second half of of Har- you know, I had that moment where he was Batman had to do something on him, so he knocks all the coins and he can't find the coin he wants, and he goes mad in front of all of them. I remember Paul Dini when we it came back and we were watching the and Paul went, "Oh my God, this is heartbreaking." I went, "Good." <laughs> but anyway, so, um, what, did, did you did uh, just uh, because we're talking about Batman for a minute, reminded me? Did you see that and go? That's my fucking idea. <laughs> you know, yeah, there is a little bit of pride there, but you know, you're so busy on other stuff. It's just what you know. You move on to the next day. You know, right. it's like you're as good as your last sale. But um, yeah, Bane. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, so we yeah we, we I think that was Boyd like the Bane. Okay, so I'm I turned Bane basically into the Terminator. So Bane is, is and, and 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 Boyd you know loved that too. So we we wrote this really beautiful script. I thought it was a really detailed outline, or maybe we went to script on it. But, you know, basically, Bane is unstoppable. He's a very formidable opponent. And remember that, the, the, you know, the tougher your villain is, the, the, the better your hero looks, you know. And um, so he, you couldn't bring him down. I mean, and he had the single-minded fixation, he's going to kill Batman. And so Bruce, I mean, going between his different characters, um, Bruce keeps getting more and more injured through this thing. And also I'd had a side story of him falling in love and all this. So it was just really great. We were really happy moving. So then we get a call from the boys over at the lot, you know, the main, the, the main lot. And we go over and meet with them and they said, Hey, we have great news. We just signed Arnold Schwarzenegger to play Mr. Freeze. So we we want we want you to make the villain to your script, make it Mr. Freeze. Oh, oh no. And I said, I said, but we already wrote it and it's Bane. And one of the other guys in the room said, Well, can't you just use your your word pro you know, your, your universal search and replace on your word processor or wherever it's just Bane? Just <laughs> I, I thought, but it doesn't work like that. I said, they're two different villains. I thought, never mind, we'll just write a new script, you know. Wow. We go back. And also, so, Bane was in that movie at the end. Not so zero. No, but in Batman and Robin, that's the ironic. Yeah, part. yeah. Well, uh, let me tell you what happened. So we go back, and we're making. So I thought, okay, we're gonna have to do some zero. And I said, well, you know, unlike Bane, Freeze is a sympathetic character, and I loved Heart of You know, that was one of the first ones Paul wrote, and I remember it was just thinking, what a great little script this is. That 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 little heart, you know, Heart of Ice. Yeah. So we're gonna pick up from there. And I said, he's a sympathetic villain. So we beat out this whole story. And I said, you know, the other thing I'd like to do is, um, and he totally was on board for this too, uh, is I said, let's flesh out Robin's character more, Dick. I said, Dick and Barbara are dating at that time, but they don't know each other's alter ego. They don't know each other, that one is Robin, one doesn't, and they don't right. know that she's Barbara, right? Um, I said, let's establish their characters more and, and like who is who's dick about so we have that whole story with with barbara being kidnapped by by freeze and he's only doing because he's trying to help his wife and all that and it turned into a lovely little story right so we we make it boy did a brilliant job of directing it, by the way and at that time the CGI, animation yeah the cg yeah. And it's really it still holds up yeah. that scene we, we, where you go underneath the ice and you follow yeah, the yeah. Bears, really cool well, I'll tell you, yeah, Alice, you know, CGI was very expensive at that time. And we only had like three and a half million dollars to make that movie. So we had to pick and choose. And Boyd did all that picking. Boyd was completely responsible for that. But picking where we would use CGI. And, and then, you know, you didn't want it to 
you know, look like two different worlds. You know, suddenly, you know, so he mixed them pr- pretty pretty well. But it was it was the first time we were able to use the CGI. You know, anyway, the movie goes well, so we screen it on the line. It's getting all these great responses from everybody. Like we're all happy. Okay, now I get a call from the same guys over at the lot, and we go over to meet with them. We're all you know excited and giddy about our movie. And he goes, Warner Brothers are going to delay the release of your movie. Yeah, we're, it's going to be like a 10 months or a year from now. I go, but why? They said, because th- this new Joel Schumacher is not going well. It is not testing well. And they, they are really worried that they don't want there to be any confusion in the marketplace between your two movies. And I thought, but how could there be? I said, mine's animated and his is like that. You know, our, <laughs> boy, boy, mine's like that. And they go, basically, he said to me, I don't want any shit, Okay. <laughs> Your movie is delayed, and that's all there is to it. I thought, oh, okay, you know, <laughs> because it was not going well. And they and and you know, he he told he he told he held up the video and he says, You see this? These Batman movies, this is the studio's biggest investment every two years. They spend 150, 200 million dollars. They're not gonna let some pip squeak little anime thing suddenly compete with that, you know. So we went, okay, you know, <laughs> we went back, we're writing the series, and then it came out. And it did pretty well. In fact, it won the Annie. That Annie is the kind of the Emmy in in animation, the Annie Awards. I don't know if you ever heard of them, but um, have, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it got nominated for best, and it was against Beauty and the Beast, you know, for their directed video, and we won mm. that wow. for, for wow. best movie. But uh, look, it just goes to show people are doing podcasts about this show and these movies. No one's doing a podcast about the making of Batman and Robin, Joel Schumacher, and how great it was. Right? Like, it just goes to show that that producer whoever he or she was really you know no but i I, I get it that's the time i get it though because i'm currently writing a project for a a large corporation and i wrote a whole script and it was amazing and it was all to do with aliens and the specific location in the sea and we were just about to go into production and they said oh um there's an aquaman book coming out and it's in the same location so you're going to have to change the story and we should probably release this two years later now, just in case mm. there's any similarity between it. So, so Will, you live the same experience. It's yeah. just, there's a, always a lot of really weird corporate politics and it's people just trying to stop fires before they even happen. Probably fires that will never even happen, but that's just somebody's job. But it, for a creative, it's incredibly frustrating. Yeah. yeah and, and, you know, these creators, you know, they can... You know, they can lose their jobs if they make the wrong decision. So yeah. they're very protective. But I, I will say that year um, that, you know, that's when Siskel and Ebert were, you know, Ebert, well, they're both gone now, I think, but they were both alive doing that. That you know, the big the, reviewers, right? Yeah. And so they, they reviewed this animated direct-to-video movie, Sub-Zero. And so we got notice from my, so I watched it. And they were just very kind. And what happened was, this, you know, because one of them has watched the movie and he starts and the other one chimes in. So it was um, Roger Ebert who started. And he said, you know, what's amazing to me, he said, is that the animated movie is live action and the live action movie is a cartoon. And he, <laughs> That's and great. He went back and forth, but he really, they gave a thumbs down to the Joel Schumacher one, but to ours, they gave a big two thumbs up, right? Which was kind of cool for us. And then we went to Sundance Film Festival that year and i ran into roger Ebert there and so we're and i said hey thanks for that lovely review and you know he said yeah you know animation's really growing up he said it's not just little kitty stuff you know animation can be used to do really serious topics and then you know look at pixar coming out and but by, by the way i i after 
after we did Sub-Zero, they liked it. We wrote a sequel, which didn't get done. But what was really fun is that, you know, like the, and I saw this like in the opening of The Incredibles later, where, where they're both fighting the same criminal. And he goes, hey, I had him. She goes, no, no, I had him. I, you know, they're, they're arguing. And he goes, you know, I don't need to be right. dealing with, am- with amateurs here. You know, so like that, that's amateur. what Bad Girl and Robin. Bad Girl and Robin, right? right. And she goes, I wouldn't be an amateur. Then they're dating. Uh, you know, then they're going out to, you know, they don't know each other. And right. finally they get engaged. And so Bruce says to him, well, are you going to tell her who you are? He said, because she has a right to know. See, Bruce doesn't know she's Bad Girl either. Right. And he says, you know, you, you could go out and get killed. I mean, before you marry her, she need, you know, you got to be honest with her. Let her know who you are, you know. And so, and and this was this was the Bane story that we brought. So up. the Sub-Zero 2 was going to be the Bane story that you never got to make. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Right. And, and so Bane, you know, we, we brought that. And, and so he invites Barbara over. Dick does. Someone talked to you. So she comes over to Wayne Manor. And she's there, and you know they're loving. He goes, "Listen, I, I need to show you something." So he hits the bookcase, and he takes her down the stairway. Mm-hmm. And they, what is this? Where am I? And he takes her down into the bat cave. Mm-hmm. And she's standing there looking at all of this, like totally gobsmacked. Is that the word we use? In yeah, you could use that word. Yeah, and, well, and, and she, <laughs> it's And she looks over, and there's the you know the uniforms of that. And and he looks at her with this kind of little impish smile, and he goes, "Yeah." I'm, that's right. I'm I'm Robin, and she hauls off and slugs him in the mouth, knocks him down. And goes, what do you mean I'm a rank amateur? And then he goes, wait a minute, what? And then they realize who the, the, each other are, and it had a lot of comedy to it. I thought, and oh, anyway, but we, we never got to do it. But well, they uh, they did adapt when they uh, did the the new adventures of Batman, where they changed the animation and the character design, but it was still Bruce Tim and the whole production team behind it was still doing that show. There's a scene where Bruce brings Barbara down into the Batcave to show, like, I'm Batman and, uh-huh. um, you know, and Dick's Robin. And I know that you're Batgirl. But mm-hmm. when Barbara comes down, um, she hasn't said anything yet. And Alfred walks up and he's like, oh, Miss Gordon, I see you've discovered our secret. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sorry. Yes, I am the Batman. And he tries to cover for Bruce. It's just <laughs> such. So that reminds me that maybe they said yeah. you know, that and they kind of re tweaked it well yeah you know those ideas that idea i guess was floating around for a long time and eventually if you go long enough all the ideas we yeah get to sure the, yeah so you've spoken a lot about robin but obviously uh i wanted to speak to you in particular about robin's reckoning the two-parter that you did that is just considered some of the best episodes if not the best episodes of the show because it's the first time that you see robin as a character in his actual backstory, not just the sidekick that's with Batman that's in a colorful costume. You know, you really delve into that uh, from his his circus upbringing and losing his parents and stuff. So do you have any memories of coming up with that story and your approach to telling the story of Dick Grayson and Robin? Yeah, I really, I mean, actually that that won an Emmy. Yeah, that, it did, yeah. yeah. In fact, I remember that, see, every... Every year you have, you know, you work on it, a show, and then the next year it comes out, and then they have the Emmy. So you're, you know, like a year and a half after you've done it, and they, the the studio, what they do, because I, you know, vote on the Emmys now, and the way it works is the the show itself will submit their best episode because, like, you know, I've sat, in, I can't sit there and watch every episode of, you know, of the season. So you get to, like, if you've done a show, you get to give me what you think is your best episode. 
right? And so, and everybody does that. And then I look at that and based on that, that's how you, you get voted on. So the studio submitted Robert's, Robin's Reckoning for the Emmy. And because I had written it, then that means I was nominated. And I remember we went to the, and it was a primetime Emmy at the time. So we were there and I was sitting at the table with Gene and Tom Ruger and Alan Burnett and Paul Dini and, or excuse me, uh, Bruce Tim. And, <clears throat> and uh, very hard out, we won, we won the, the Emmy. It was really kind of a, you know, a magical night. Um, and, and I thought, wow, this, well, this show's really got something going for it, you know. <laughs> but um, in, in writing it, the, the idea that, you know, there's always, when you're writing a story, you always say, okay, what what's the best story? It's not just what's the best story, but what's the best way to tell the story? What's the best way to come at the story? You know, do you want to reveal to the audience right up front? I, I'll give you a very good example of this, just to go off on a little tangent, is Groundhog Day, if you've ever seen it's a terrific little movie. Yep. And I saw Harold Ramis interviewed, and he said when he got Danny Rubin's original script, um, it, it it starts with a guy who's in Punxsutawney who seems to have kind of superpowers. He know he knows everything. He knows everybody, and you don't know why he knows that. And then gradually, over the course of the movie, you begin to realize he's living the same day every day, until that's a reveal way far into the movie. Oh, what an interesting and, approach! That that changes the whole dynamic of that film. It did. And so Harold Ramis called Danny, and he said, because Harold Ramis had done he 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 was you know a respected director. Now he got submissions from people, so. He called me and said, you know, I just read your script. I like, the, I like the idea, but Danny, why are you hiding this from the audience? Why don't you tell them right up front that this guy's living his day over and ever, and then they get to enjoy the ride, the whole movie. Wh what you've done now is they only get to enjoy it like way far down in the movie when you do a reveal. So it, it comes down like how do you want – sometimes the best way – is to you know tell the audience right up front, and that they're laughing the whole way through the movie because they because the, the people in the movie don't know what's going on, or is it better to do a big reveal at the end because it's some big suspenseful movie? So that's how it was with Robin's Reckoning for me. What's the best way to tell the story? And the idea is that some we at the audience we don't know something's come up, and Bruce wants to keep you know Dick out of this, Robin out, and he's why why he says no, I'll handle this one. So something's bothering Robin about this. And the more he gets into it, then we, and we do his backstory, we find out that this is the guy that killed his parent. And 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 Dick is like, I mean, this is the guy. I'm going to I'm going to kill him, you know. And and Bruce knows that that's what he's going to do. So he tries to keep him from as long as possible. So where does that go? Where do you, where do you take that? Because you always want, you know, what makes you, you can always make a if you have a you know sort of strong story, you can make a good script. But what, make, what makes it great? What goes from good to great? And what goes from good to great is when you can find some underlying, underpinning thematic elements that get, go deeper than just the story itself. Like in Groundhog Day, it's great when you go, oh, he's living his day over. Isn't this funny? We're having, you know, it's funny on its own. But in the end, when you find out, he looks at her and he says, you know, I, I, I I could have done this ice sculpture with my eyes closed because I, I know you so well, but it doesn't matter to me that tomorrow you're not going to remember this and you're going to hate me because I'm happy right now. You see, and, and suddenly you brought in this very much and it starts to snow. So with Robin's reckoning for me, it was when Dick finds out that's all there. He's just crazed with vengeance and he gets to Tony Zuko and he's going to kill him. And that's when Batman shows up just the right, you know, at the last moment. And he says, you want to go down that hole? You know, you, you, you want to become the thing you're trying to stop? You want to be that? And 
And Robin looks at him and goes, there's no way you could possibly understand how I feel. <laughs> and then there's like this big pause. And he looks and he goes, oh, you know, my friend. And, he, and so it's Batman's experience that resonates with Robin. And the idea is it, if you kill this guy, you will become the you will you will become the vigilante. You will be the lawless guy uh, in, instead of what we are. That's Batman's shtick, right? Like that's the whole reason why he doesn't kill because, and that's why Joker constantly wants him to do it because he wants him to go against it. So for have someone like Robin go up against it with Batman to point it out is it's very powerful stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's a good lesson to the kids because back in the day when these were made, there were you know these you know when these characters were created, you know, you had these sort of haze codes and things like the villain always had to get their comeuppance you know stories had to have a happy ending it was made today if you're doing breaking bad they can have the bad guy winning so we sort of inherited this with that so how do you make sense of it and get the right message to people certainly to the kids and it's just what you were saying well is that you know you're showing compassion and mercy and letting the you know trusting in the system of justice and the, and the institutions we have is civilization and that's a good thing rather than we all go on a killing spree and kill anybody who's done something wrong to us. So um, that that's how we dealt with that story. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, and that's a children's cartoon, you know. I know. It's it's yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> you want to give the kids, you know, we want to give kids good messages. Frankly. No, but this, yeah. this is what we say, Randy, all the time. And I know this was kind of the the underlining theme of of making this show is that we're not going to write for children. We're making a show where we want to tell stories. And we're going to tell stories where we're not going to talk down to our audience because they're younger. They're, we're going to give them the credit that they're going to get it. And we're going to tell really good stories. And that not only worked, but look, we're a product of that, right? Like we were kids and now yeah. we're in our 30s and we're still like, that is some great storytelling and we love to watch it. We love yeah, to explore it. <laughs> we were a weird generation. We had action figures from Robocop and Predator, stuff we should not have been watching at like two yeah. years old. You know? Well, I'm, I'm really glad to hear you say that because I remember I worked on another show, uh, Animaniacs, you mentioned that. And I wrote you know a lot of the songs for that show. And I remember... You know, because I my my background was really sort of in, in in the Broadway style. You know, where a song is not only catch but tells a story. It's clever and all that. And I remember one of the one of the execs or one of the let me says, you know, these songs are too hip for the room. You should be writing more like Barney. And I I said no no. I said kids are a lot smarter than than you think they are. You know and. And fortunately, because Spielberg was our producer and all that, I I got to keep doing what I was what, what I wanted to do because he's he's very smart too. And 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 now we do you know concert. I've headed to Seattle this week. We're doing a concert with these songs because they appear you know they mm. like you see they, they, trust in the intelligence of kids. They they get it. You know they don't have to talk down to them. You don't have to be yeah. kind of. Yeah. They'll grow up to be adults with expendable income, and they will go to concerts to, you know, <laughs> crave that uh, nostalgia. Very good, Will. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the other episodes that I wanted to chat with you about, um, one was Riddler's Reform, which is one of my uh, personal favorites, just because I love the depiction of the Riddler in this show. Um, I love how they that they they painted him as this very intelligent almost obsessive personality. Um, but what I love about the episode is that he is, he, well, it's in the title, he's reformed, right? It's something where you believe he's trying to go straight and he's created these toys, but really it's this whole game. And the reason that I love this episode so much is the ending where 
Batman escapes his death trap and he doesn't know. And he's literally at the top of his lungs screaming in Arkham right. Asylum, like, how did he do that? I have to know. And John Glover's performance is also amazing. And, and oh, John was terrific in that. Yeah. Incredible. And um, yeah, so the the fact that I'm talking to the guy that wrote it, um, I'm sure probably there's lots that have fallen away from memory, um, being that it was so long ago. But what do you know? What do you remember about writing that episode? Because to me, it just it's always stood out as one of my favorites. Well, I, Alex, I think you're you know you're really smart because I mean a lot of things that you just said you got right into my head is. Again, the more formidable your opponents, and believably, um, the, the the bigger an obstacle your your hero, your protagonist has to overcome. And so, you know, like they say, who who would have remembered Saint George if he slayed a dragonfly? You know, he's got to slay the dragon. Right. And and so, I want to make Riddler really smart. And he, you know, he's obviously a narcissistic guy. You've met people like that who really, smart, they really are smart and they like to hold it over. They, they enjoy humiliating other people and putting it down. They've got this sort of bully aspect to them. And that's the Riddler. So I figure Riddler is probably very insecure as a kid growing up. And then he got that. So now he gets to be, you know, someone important. Some, I'm smarter than you are. I have a bigger IQ. And he really likes to wave that in your face. And he gets sort of this psychopathic joy out of, out of putting people down. Because he's so smart. So he gets this image of himself as some guy who's really, really smart. But Batman's pretty smart, too. And so when he gets involved, Batman's able to solve his riddles, which is like, oh, okay, we'll give you a, a, a tougher one, a tougher one. Than that. But Batman do, you know, doesn't enjoy this. It's like, this isn't a game for me. And uh, I'm just going to stomp you out, basically. Right. But he can't because the Riddler's too smart. He's being reformed. But, and, and not for a second does Batman trust him. He goes, no, no, no. He's got, you know, because Batman is a very smart guy. So in the end, like you say, when when the, the Riddler goes, oh, come on, I got to know. I'm not going to tell you. Now that side of him comes out again from before, you know, that little narcissistic guy where he gets angry and mad like a little kid, you know, mm, which yeah. is really what it really is, you know. Yeah, that's so. true. Yeah, yeah, I love that. I I, also, I just love the almost the dichotomy between Bane and Riddler. How Bane is always like the the absolute peak of Batman's physical prowess, and then Riddler's pretty much the peak of his intellectual yeah. prowess. And I just always love that about both characters. So they're quite similar in that way, just completely different though. Yeah, you know, I remember having this conversation, um, sort of in the writers' room from the very beginning, and it was that. You, you, you know who Robert Townsend is? Mm -hmm. Robert Town, excuse me, Robert Town. He wrote Chinatown. Yeah. You know, he's a really, really good writer back in the 60s. I don't even know if he's still alive anymore. But I saw an interview with him, and he hit it right on the, the nail, right on the head. Because he said, if you can find out what your lead character is afraid of, but I mean, what's he really afraid of? Deep down in his core, what is the thing he fears the most? If you can find that out, you have the makings of a pretty good character. So I'm asking, what does Batman fear the most? What, what Bruce Wayne, Batman, what is the thing he's really afraid of? Because, see, if he's totally invincible, big deal. Nobody can get but, but if I have somebody think that can really get to him, and I, well, we argued about this, and I said, what he's really afraid of is being powerless. Because he saw his parents murdered in front of him. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, and that's really he was unable to stop. He was powerless to stop it. Mm -hmm. And so he swore to him, you know, we make little decisions in our heads, especially kids that I will never 
be powerless again. I will never be able, you know, unable. To, so he studies, he does martial arts. He, you know, he, he dedicates himself to being this, you know, very formidable person. So that, but when, like you say, why is he so smart? Why is he so, you know, because that's what he's all about. When you think of Batman, the character, you think that, oh, it's more, I want to stop the the grief that I've experienced in my life. I want to, to make sure that doesn't happen to anybody else in Gotham. And that's why I save, you know, Dick and all that stuff. That's the way I always interpreted the character, but I've never actually thought about like what you just, the way you put it in terms of fear being power like powerless i think that's actually amazing like i've never thought of batman the character in that way before and it makes a lot of sense to me as well because it's that's why he doesn't like superman when he first meets him right because superman's got all these powers and he's like you son of a bitch like you are literally <laughs> the all-powerful being and i in my fear is is being powerless so like he looks at superman like well if i had all those gifts and all of that power then I wouldn't have my fear anymore, maybe. So, yeah, in a subconscious way. Uh, so if you yeah, can, really when you're a writer and you, and you can find those things, it just makes you, your, your characters much more engaging and interesting and, you know, worth writing. So No, I love that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so with Make Them Laugh, I know we were talking briefly before, but that's another great episode. So uh, with Make Them Laugh, you've got the Joker, like, basically brainwashing these random comedians and turning them into lame supervillains yeah. so we've got mighty mum we've got uh the pack rat and we've got the now very famous condiment king who i don't know if you know appeared in the lego batman movie i don't know if you yeah. you do that do you have any like so with do you have any memories of creating those wacky characters i do and they're little uh, animaniacs as well aren't yeah. they yeah but i have to give i have to give i mean i did write but i have to give credit to paul dini because <laughs> We were at Alan's office and Paul goes off on, you know, because it's got to be something ridiculous. He goes, I am the condiment king. You know, he and Paul came up with that and we were laughing our asses off. That. Okay, <laughs> that's good. So, yeah, Paul's got a great sense of humor in that that idea. But then when I wrote it and, and then it came back, I think Paul was story editing that script. So he put make him laugh because he knew he'd actually seen me do the show. Right. Went, oh, look at that. This but it, I mean, it, really it, it was a great i the, the whole idea for that that i that story. I think I have to give to Paul. So, did you know like what you were going to do with the Joker? Because the Joker in that story steals from the Mad Hatter. So originally, everyone thinks yeah. it's the Mad Hatter, and then turns out yeah. it's the Joker. And I, even as a like as an adult now, I watch that and I'm like, that's really clever. Because I remember being a kid and being like, oh, it's not the Mad Hatter, it's the Joker, and like being oh, all yeah. surprised by that. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so I, I love that whole story. I think that's great. Well, it was a funny one. And the idea that the Joker, you know, he prides himself on being this very funny guy. And he tubes, uh, you know, he can't do stand-up, you know, that right. idea. I mean, you, it's like, you better laugh at me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's life or death. Yeah. Uh, do you have any memorabilia from the show? Do you have anything that you still uh, have out on display or things that you, you've kept? I have. Show? Let's see. I have. Oh, it's our favorite segment of the show, Will. It is. Yeah, is. <laughs> oh, shit. There's that's the probably, Emmy. Yeah, an Emmy. That's probably the best one, I'd say. <laughs> that, that's actually. And, and then I have. Let's see. I was. I have a ton of stuff. I have. Just casually chucking your um, This is around. actually. I, I should hang this. This was one of the cells they gave us. Oh, wow. Um, when I uh, co wrote and co produced Sub Zero, one of the things this new game, they, they let Boyd and I have original cells. So I got like 50 cells from from uh, wow. 
from from that show. And I remember I, there's one I, I I said I'm getting that cell. So I mean I have as memorabilia I have all these cells in a box. But um, do you remember Sub Zero when she gets you know she's to get out of there she's jumping in the bed she takes the mattress and gets the springs like a trampoline she gets to the top and she gets into the ducting and yes. freeze all going and she's crawling through the ducting freezes you know shooting to, to freeze and the icicles are coming up but then you know the 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 other guy you know jumps up and goes after her the the oh yeah that's right and, yeah it was played by george dunza who was yeah, in, who, yeah i can't remember he was basically like an evil doctor like a, yeah, yeah, a, a doctor who, well he was he was desperate for money so he had to do this george was in um the deer hunter i remember but um so he's chasing her he gets up in there and he's coming down that that you know that what do you say the ducting that she, you know in the in the wall at the top and as he's coming after her, she turns around and she's kicking at him right so she turns and she goes and she turns back to look her legs are apart there's just you know it goes the frames go uh 23 a second 24 a second 23 or 4 second you know for your eye you you understand that, right there's yeah. 24 frames going by you but one of those frames boy but you know she had her legs apart you could just see in between her legs you know <laughs> really so i have that i have that cell <laughs> wow. it goes it goes by so fast you couldn't see it you know but oh man oh it was a it was the 90s <laughs> Oh, now um, you can do stuff like that, yeah. Yeah, uh, that's that's hilarious, though. Um, so you should, yeah, you should frame that right next to the Emmy, I think. <laughs> Look that up. I have a yeah, I, yeah, I gotta do something with those cells, but I have yeah, a bunch of little bat. I have so much Batman paraphernalia and other from other shows I've done. That's so. great. Everyone we've interviewed so far has some little like everyone has the cell. And everyone has some sort of little. We have the jacket, like you know. I have the Batman. Oh, my really? Jacket, my Batman jacket looks brand new because I, you know, I, when do I wear it? You know, it's sitting right. in my closet. You know, you know that uh, the that is probably worth probably the most out of your whole collection because the vintage the the jacket because the vintage oh. clothes market right now is insane. Like mm. people are paying. Well, I have I have jackets from Animaniacs, from Pinky and the Brain, from Batman. I mean, some. No, so flip a couple and have a lovely holiday. That's what I say. <laughs> That's a good idea, maybe. Okay. <laughs> uh, so what uh, what are you working on now, Randy? Can you share what you're working well, on currently? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I am doing uh, some television things, but the 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 biggest thing I'm I just finished. You just had this production. I wrote a, a stage musical, okay. and it was just produ- it was just produced in Los Angeles. It's called "Did You See What Walter Paisley Did Today," and it. It just closed its first run, and it has had huge reviews, um, great reviews. So I, we're now. I just talked director today. Uh, I, you know, there we've had investors come on now. I so it's going to get its next production. I think it's going to. It's on its way. Um, I I can give you the basically the the three line pitch on it is sure, yeah yeah. The, I mean, it's out. If you just if you just Google, you know, what did Walter Paisley do today? No, no, show me. Did you see what Walter Paisley did today? I know it's kind of a long, clumsy title, but <laughs> it's a it's perfect for the show. It they call, it's a beatnik horror comedy musical, is how they put it on the poster. But basically, it's 1958. It's I put it in San Francisco. So it's the height of the beat generation, you know, the beat mix, if you remember that. And it's a small little coffee shop where you have poets and painters and writers and performers, you know, all these artists who take their art very, very seriously. 
And there's this schlubby little waiter who longs to be part of this group of artists. Um, He wants to be a sculptor, but he just doesn't have any talent. And I know this seems kind of dark, but it's actually very funny when you see it, is he accidentally kills his neighbor's cat because it gets inside the wall and he's trying to get, you know, dig it out with a knife to help. And the knife just slips through and kills the cat. (laughs) And now he's mortified, right? But then he gets this idea because he, he can't sculpt anything you know, that looks really out of no talent. So he covers the cat with clay, including <laughs> the knife with it. And he brings it in and people go, oh, my God, you know, this cat with a big knife sticking out of it, and, you know, like a, a, like a statue. And they go, that's so dark. It's so creepy. But I can't take my eyes off it. It's so innovative. <laughs> they, they say, we'll, we'll do another one. He goes, another one. Well, so now oh, now he starts looking for roadkill, right? He's picking up animals that get run over. And so then he starts killing animals and then he graduates to people. Yeah. So that's, oh, wow. so that's, that's the, that's the yeah. setup for the musical. That's, that's brilliant. I love it. Yeah, that's really cool. That's That sounds like good fun. Yeah, that's yeah. great. So um, <laughs> as you said, it's it's due for its second run. So anybody, um, I assume it's showing in L.A., yeah? Yeah, it just finished in L.A. So it's premature. I know we've had some investors it's premature, but um, well, if you look at Google, you'll see it's all there. That sounds great. Yeah. Um, and, then, and, then, and then I do I do some work for another studio called Big Bad Boo. We had some, you know Thousand One Nights is a series I write for, and and uh, so other little projects that you know I write for television. Awesome. And where can I our listeners know. find you online if they if you want to direct them anywhere to your socials? Yeah, socials. Oh, my or is there a website yeah, um, or anything like that. Yeah, it's usually just my name, Randy Rogel. Yeah, and you can just Google it, and all of that comes up. Okay. Um, great. To, now, the other that's, thing I, that's how I found you. So, yeah, okay. The, the other thing that I've been doing quite a bit now is, um, you know, we created this show with uh, all those songs I wrote for Animaniacs. Rob Paulson, who does the voice of Yakko, he's Pinky and Pinky in the Brain. He's yeah. Mad Max. He's two of the Ninja Turtles. He's, you know, he's, he's just a top-notch voiceover talent. Yeah. And incredibly talented and one of the nicest guys you ever meet. So he does these cons all over the world, all the time. Guy's probably on the road, you know, 50 weeks a year. I mean, right. And so he told me, he said, hey, you know, Randy, wherever I go, people always ask me to sing your songs. And I thought, oh, well, that's nice, you know. So then he has this podcast he does, like yours called Talk and Tunes, where he interviews everybody in the animation industry because he, he knows everybody. And... They asked him to do a live. I, I live very close to the Warner Brothers and Universal Studios. All up here. I'm in Toluca Lake area of Los Angeles, and so they asked him to do a live one. So he did up at Universal with Maurice Lamarche, who's the brain. And Maurice is, you know, he does half the voices on Futurama. He's done so many voices on The Simpsons. He was the voice of the King in the movie Frozen. He's the official spokesman for Alexis. He's Yosemite Sam. He, you know, he took that with Mel Blanc. I mean, he's just an incredible, and he's the brain. So they, they're pinking the brain. They did, um, they did the show up at Universal, sold it out. So he says, well, they want me to do another one. He says, why don't you just come up? We'll sit the piano and, and we'll wing it. So I did. It's a few minutes from here. So we go and we sold it out. So then we did it again. We sold that again. And so wow. we started doing it again. So his age said, you know, I think this is a show. I thought, well, we have to get Warner Brothers permission. And then we had to get Steven Spielberg's permission. But we did. And now we have this concert series that where it's me and Rob and Mo, or we'll bring Tress McNeil. We bring Jess Harnell, you know, because they play Dot and they play, he plays Wacko. And they, and, so you know, cool. Tress, 
Yeah, trust is so much. Trust is probably the most successful female voice artist in history now. All the Sims. She had 500 episodes of The Simpsons. She's a regular on Futurama. And every other, you know, she was Dot in Animaniac. She was um, the lead in, in Tiny Toons. So um, when we come, we have some really powerful people. In fact, we're going, we're booked in Seattle this weekend. And Marisa first wasn't going to make it. So we were bringing Nancy Cartwright. Nancy is Bart Simpson, yes. but she was also Mindy in Mindy and Buttons on Animaniacs. But Nan- Nancy's got a flu right now, so we thought, okay, don't go. So Maurice is going to go this weekend, but Nancy will go there. So when we go, we have quite a, a, a cool yeah, show. Quite like, a cost, a yeah. and, we, and, and they they break into these voices that are so hysterical. We do all the song, we tell the funny stories. On, so they, they booked. A, I think we we are we've got like twenty five to thirty concerts between now and the end of you know and a year from now. So. Um, that, that keeps us hopping. But we we just got back from New York week before last. We did it. We did a show there at the Patchogue Theater, and um, right after this, we I'm I did look at our schedule, but that, so that that's a real fun thing to do. We're gonna have to come to London next because that sounds yeah. like a yeah, wonderful. it would be perfect in London too because you know you're English speaking and it would be a great show for that. Yeah, yeah, it sounds really a fun show. Sounds totally insaney. <laughs> totally insane. And 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 also what I'll do, it's called Animaniacs in Concert. And that we we actually have a website. You go animaniacslive.com or animaniacsinconcert.com. It takes you right, and it shows you where we're going to be next. But one of the things we do in the show, too, is say, well, you want to hear a song that Steven Spielberg killed? Or do you want to hear a song that the <laughs> network wouldn't do? Or you want to hear the original? Most people want to hear that. Yeah, yeah I say, yeah. you want to hear the original lyrics that before they made me cut them? So we we can tell them all the inside of the stuff. And then plus, you know, the, you know all this, you know, when Rob stand, Rob stands and all of a sudden up on the screen comes Yakko's. It's, it's a song I wrote with all the countries of the world. Where he yes, goes, classic. Nice yeah, that's, yeah. The, that's and, the one. That's the big one, right? Yeah, he's yeah, yeah. And Rob's you know standing on stage. This whole thing is on a projection with the orchestra playing behind, you know, playing it, and he's singing it live to picture, so he can't make a mistake because the cartoon keeps going, you know. And he right. fact, and he does that live to picture, and everybody's just like, oh my god, you know, it's it's pretty cool. That's amazing. Yeah, mm-hmm. everyone, go check that out. That's listening. I'll even include that link in the description below of this episode as well. So you can check that out. That sounds really great. And a, and a big time nostalgia trip for loads of people. So that, that sounds like an awesome. Yeah. Trip. And you know, Animaniacs has been rebooted. Steven Spook is producing it. It's the third season just dropped at Hulu. So, you know, it, it now the, not just your generation, but the, the new generation have all been introduced to Animaniacs as well. Yeah. It's awesome. It just goes to show that the nineties had the best stuff. That's what really did. Sure. Yeah. Well, Randy, Randy, thanks so much for coming on, man. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Um, I've loved uh, learning about stuff um, that I never knew before, like the Bane movie instead of Mm. Mr. Freeze. That's amazing. Um, And also just discovering uh, inadvertently what Batman's true fear is and what drives him. I think that's uh, being powerless is really cool and something that now I'm going to always kind of think about when I think about that character. So that's amazing. Um, Yeah, Randy, thank you. My pleasure, Alex. You too, Will. And uh, good luck with your podcast. You, you you probably should have Alan Burnett on because Alan's the godfather. Yeah. You know, he sits over everybody else. And, you know, so Batman, if you if you love the Batman series, it, you know, that's his vision. And certainly from the story side and Bruce and Eric from the visual side. Absolutely. Hopefully one day. Well, that was fun. Who's for Chinese? OK, we hope you all enjoyed that chat. Um, it was really great having him on, wasn't it, bud? It's full of info. Yeah, pretty cool. Just 
whipping out a freaking Emmy like that. Like, yeah, hey, look, look what I got him. Yeah, and also for Batman as well. He won that for Robin's Reckoning yeah, and also just, for all the Animaniacs songs. I know, we're just being like, oh, do you have anything from the show? It's like, I have an Emmy. It's like, all right, well, <laughs> go fuck yourself then. <laughs> yeah. Usually we see like, I don't know, some action figures or some animation cells and he's like, I got a fucking Emmy, yeah. baby. Um, now, there's some really cool stuff that I just want to chat with you again as a highlight from our chat. Bane being the main villain of Sub-Zero was such a cool story to know and to, to discover and find out because can you imagine how different that would have been? And like the fact that he wanted to make him like the Terminator, you mm. know, and this unstoppable force. Yeah. Really sounded great. And just classic, like Hollywood meddling, right? So many, yeah. so many people's jobs in the this business are to avoid conflicts that will potentially never happen. And Oh, it's, it's a headache. I know. And then after they changed it to Mr. Freeze, because of Arnold Schwarzenegger, who now I've just realized was the Terminator. So they were trying to make mm. Bane the Terminator and the actual Terminator ruined it in, in some form or fashion. But anyway, they changed it to Mr. Freeze. And then they're like, yeah, so uh, you're going to have to hold that now because Batman and Robin isn't performing well. And we don't want people to get confused, even though one's an animation and one's live action. So stupid. So yeah, that's, yeah that was luckily, crazy. Luckily, that has gone away a little bit where people remember... It used to be like, oh, Batman can't be on a television show because people will get confused. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah. Now and, that's, yeah, that's not a thing anymore, yeah. right? Thank God that's not a thing anymore. Now we're getting multiple Batman in movies and TV shows. Yeah, so, now, now yeah. they're like, here's 25 Batman all at once. Here's a Lego <laughs> Batman. Eat <laughs> it up, give me your money! <laughs> um, of course, winning an Emmy for Robin's Reckoning, that's crazy. What an experience to actually win an Emmy for those two episodes and rightfully so those are some great episodes i can't wait to get to review those uh make him laugh i thought that was uh really cool how he got that title from singing in the rain and mm -hmm. his performance there that was cool and the final one here is that we were both completely kind of uh, caught off guard and how amazing his description of finding a character's greatest fear so already I'm thinking as he's saying that, okay, he's going to say his greatest fear is guns or it's going to be bats that no, or bats or no child, you know, goes to harm or something like that. No, the, well, like what I said, like is, yeah, his tragedy, he doesn't want to repeat for anybody else in Gotham, basically. Yeah. And then to pull out Batman's greatest fear is being powerless. Mm. I was like, well, that's one I've never heard before. And then as he kept on explaining it, it just made so much sense. Like, Chef's Kiss, that's just, that's some good shit right there. I love that. So it was really great to get to speak to Randy and all of the stuff that he had to bring. We hope you enjoyed that and learned a lot of cool stuff about the show like we did, because that's why we do the podcast in the end, right? Absolutely. All right. We've only got one game to play for this, as we can't do our other games, as we haven't reviewed an episode. But are you ready for Ace the Bat Sound? I am. <laughs> Okay, this is a game I play with my brother where I play a character's theme tune or light motif for you music heads out there, and Will has to guess who it belongs to. He gets extra points if he can describe what happens in the episode, or if he can name the episode. Typically, the music is all from the character's first appearance in the show. Okay, buddy, are you ready for your musical clip? Let's do it. <laughs> Thank you. 
Okay, any guesses? I only recognize this song from you all the time back to the day going, it's one of my it, it, it is up there as top three favorite scores of this entire show i fucking love that so much i think it's such a driving march and you know i love a Good. march it'd be the perfect song for captain america yep in fact when we were writing a little script that um we were kind of based we called it gridlock Mm-hmm. Uh, that was the music. That was one of the scores I was listening to for the characters when we were writing for that book. Um, I love that score so much. I think it is so good. So, who is it for in this show? No idea. Really? Okay. Would you like a is voice it a, clip? Is it a main villain? It is not a villain. Okay. Yeah. It's quite heroic. It's well, too heroic did, for a villain. Who did Batman team up with? That's a hero in this show. That's not the Grey Ghost. It's and it, you know it's not Superman because he has his own song. Correct. So would you like a voice clip clue? Yep. Okay. Here we go. Wait. A girl. Oh, is it is it Batgirl's theme? There you go. There it is. Nice. It's Batgirl's theme. It's so good. I love it so much. Correct. All right. Yes, you are right. It's Batgirl's theme. Can you tell me what banger. happens in the episode? Batgirl comes around. She's like, hey, guys, I'm Batgirl. And they're like, who's this? <laughs> and then she and she's like, I just said. <laughs> is Clayface the villain? No, but it is a face villain. Two-Face. Correct. Mis- yes. Mr. Face. First Mr. Two. <laughs> That's confusing. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so, um, I mean, we did just interview the director of... Oh, I'm, I mean... Oh, fuck it. We just interviewed the director of these episodes. That episode is coming later, so you guys have something to look forward to. Um, but, yeah, we we were chatting with him about that as well. You, I mean, you got some of it right. I mean, Batgirl is in it. Yes, well done. <laughs> and there was a face villain. He had two of them. And the other plot First line is... Two. <laughs> the other plot line is Commissioner Gordon is wrongfully imprisoned and she has to clear his name. Sounds which great. It's really cool. Yeah, it's great. It's a two-parter. Two parts. <laughs> um okay, well we've got our next category. Sorry, let me just pull this up. Hang on one second. <laughs> That's a different theme. It's the same theme. Oh, I thought you were singing. Oh, that's Superman's theme. Yeah. Yeah. And also, what I loved that Shelley Walker did in that theme is just like John Williams said put superman in the beat the superman mm. superman oh my my it's a superman <laughs> man of tomorrow is a superman there you go i love it okay we're gonna go straight into our next segment now which is you've got mail oh by the way this came for you an hour ago by messenger you've got mail thank you alfred <laughs> makes me laugh i don't know why <laughs> thank you alfred i drew you a bath Okay, so thank you to all our listeners who have started writing in after listening to our last episode. Greatly appreciate it. And this is where it's going to get read. Okay, first one, we've got Tyler West, who wrote in the Cape Capers scenario from today. 
He said, I absolutely love the podcast. This is my first time watching the show and going through it with you guys has been an incredible experience. So we got someone watching it for the first time along with us. That's pretty cool. The level of detail, passion and humor you guys inject into every episode comes through and elevates each episode of the TV show for me. Well, that's really nice. Thank you, Tyler. That's some good stuff. Um, I'm very jealous that someone's watching this for the first time, Mike. Are you, though? Because then it would have never been a part of your childhood. That's true, yeah. And the nostalgia wouldn't be there, would no. it? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, maybe I'm not. You're right. Don't You've... be jealous. Yeah. The well, show this defines a lot about who you are, so... It does. <laughs> shut, shut the fuck up. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> You're literally wearing a Batman the Animated Series t-shirt right now. And you spent the last hour trying to make it look like your background on Zoom is the Batcave. So there you go. Which would have been awesome. And I'm getting a green screen so it can look like I'm sitting yes, in the so animated that, series Batcave. On chair. our audio-only podcast, we can really enjoy it. It's well, such it's, like a stupid thing you're doing. Just It's just for you. It is just for me. You're yeah. right. It is just so I can sit here and be like, I'm in the Batcave. <laughs> I mean, I've got a Michael Keaton mask in my garage. I can start wearing that while we podcast. <laughs> Your beard just sticking out yeah. of it. Oh, God, that's amazing. All right, next listener is Gary141, who wrote this on Apple Podcasts. Five-star review as well. This is by far the funniest episode yet. Speaking about the last episode, you guys are so good at the accents, especially Will's Russian accent. All of them had been stitches on my way back from work. Oh, well, that's, that's nice. Great. That was maybe two episodes ago. I said last episode. Two episodes ago, we did that, which was uh, good fun. It's what we did, Mad Hagrid instead of Mad Hatter. <laughs> I don't know about that. Yeah. <laughs> then we got Anton on Spotify. Love the episode review. Also, for my review, initially, I wanted to write in whilst listening, sometimes because Kate Capers is always so funny. But Spotify only allows 200 words for reviews. Oh, okay. Well, that's that's yeah. good to know. And thank you for writing in anyway, Anton. And then we've got macho garth 68884 on youtube found you guys on youtube found you guys on tiktok love it i I put that in there just to say that tiktok is doing its thing and it's working which is great find us new listeners then we got red hood on tiktok the actual red hood oh jason Uh, what's up i got i got a cap now it's a helmet (laughs) Red Hood, Red Hood on TikTok said, great, now I'm going to have to go listen to your whole podcast because the amount of guests you have on from the animated series is something I just need to listen to. That's well, right. I'm so sorry, Red Hood. Sorry to inconvenience you with great content. That's right. Uh, and then we've got listener Liam Spens. Hi, I just want to give you a quick message and say I am loving the content. Cool. Thank you, Liam. Really appreciate that. Uh, he said, it's great to see some relatable people talking about the things I personally love. Keep up the great work. That's really nice. And then finally, I got a negative one, bud, because you you got to take the good with the bad, right? So I yeah. figured I'd throw in a negative one and we can shit on this person. Okay, so this was on TikTok. I won't say who it was. On one of our videos. When I pointed out that Bruce saying, better marry her soon, Hav, or I'll steal away from you is a pretty fucked up thing to say to your friend, this person took it very seriously and replied with, anyone who thinks that's a bad thing to say to your friend has clearly never had guy friends. <laughs> I mean, busted. I clearly have never had a male friend in my life, and I don't know how to communicate with with the same sex because I'm a weirdo. It was also just a joke. Like I clearly understood that what it was just an old school style joke that people yeah. are completely innocent. But you know, to make it funnier, you talk about an orgy and things going on 
which exactly. does make it funny. My, I watched your TikTok version of that. And my favorite is Grace when she goes, I'm in. <laughs> and then Harvey turns around yeah. like, what did what? you say, Grace? Yeah, if you guys haven't yet, go check us out on TikTok. I basically- yeah, I will, I will praise you for the very funny little clips from the show that he edits together. And he makes it sometimes like look like characters from the show are saying all lines of jokes and stuff. And it's very well edited and very funny. And I always look forward to when a new one comes out. But I'm oh, always, that's nice. I'm always disappointed when it's like a, a serious one. I'm like, yeah, I want the funny ones. <laughs> yeah, well, you've got to have both, right? Because, I mean, yeah, it's a good balance for people. All right, let's get into our final category of the day, which is what you're doing with your life. Buddy, what are you watching, reading, listening to, thinking about, putting in all of your holes? What fills your holes? <laughs> <laughs> Specifically your ears and your eyes. So I was taken back, but I'm talking about my holes in the podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> I um, what am I doing? Like I said, I, as I work, I've been having Pokemon on for no reason at all, just because. Gotta I just, catch them all, baby. Gotta catch them all, baby. Oh my god, the poker <laughs> app is dope, though. <laughs> when that bass line comes in, the boom, 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 boom. I like when he goes war, war, war. <laughs> anyway um yeah i've been enjoying that show it's so funny seeing stuff that's like so not pc in that show like uh brock like just like craving over women and all this other stuff um but i also thought that there was something that was quite progressive in the show is that uh jesse from team rocket like he dresses up as a woman all the time you know and i that's feel true. like if that happened in a modern day cartoon today the right wing media would be like you need to pan this show because it's supporting like drag queens and cross-dressing all this other and, stuff and, and trans yeah and like yeah. this is from like 98 and like you know no one gave a shit yeah that's so, a good point well i mean even but bugs bunny dressed up as women clothing you know what yeah but i guess it's because he's a cartoon bunny and not like a human man that's good point. right good point yeah that's a um point. yeah so yeah i've been enjoying that show um and uh what else i've been doing Watching still a bunch of videos on YouTube by the Rad Brad uh, playing the DLC for Resident Evil uh, 4 and Resident Evil 7. I've been such still ever since Resident Evil 4 came out and I did Outbreaks. I've been still on a zombie kick and absorbing loads of zombie media and watching Mando, watching Ted Lasso, did watching you Barry. Mando today? Literally Mando final episode came out today. No, I'm going to watch it with supper. Oh, okay. So um, I won't spoil that in no. what I'm watching. In I only watched the episode previously, uh, the previous episode uh, last night, but obviously already spoiled for me that um, that char- certain character came back in it, which I was like, oh, God, internet, just calm down. Just calm down. Let people enjoy stuff in their own time. Um, but the best show I'm watching on TV right now is Succession. Oh, my God, that show is just so good. It's like drinking a really fucking good glass of wine. And, and <laughs> as it aerates, you know, you've just opened the bottle for the first sip. You're like, oh, yeah. And then as like an hour passes, you're like, oh, it's just getting better and better. Just can't say. I gotta, I gotta watch the show. Every time you talk about this on the show, I need to just, you know what? Tonight, I, I might just put it on. Just but it may not, it. look, it, it may not be for you. Me and my wife's like realized, because, you know, my other favorite show is Mad Men. I was like, why do I love these two shows? And I said to my wife, like, do you know what I like the show? I like business drama. I was like, I love like people in the office and it's like, we just lost this account or like we just, and then people are like, oh my God, 
I love shit like that. That's so weird. But I've told you because I've always had the fantasy of like, you know, I've really fantasized about the office life of, you know, of because I guess it's because our father went and did it in New York City and in London. Like I've always fantasized about putting a suit on in the morning and traveling into a city and going to work and working for an office and making big decisions for a corporation. I I just something about that is very appealing to me. Uh, I don't know why. Interesting. Yeah, because I wouldn't have painted you as that person. I mean, I even friggin' did that. You know what I mean? I know, but you didn't wear, like, a full-on suit, you know? No, like... but I did all the other things. Yeah, yeah, I know. But you worked at, like, a trendy marketing place. So. Okay, so not, like, like office space. <laughs> it's like no, you're fuck, in a... no, no. I hate Mondays, right, Jeff? <laughs> yeah. No, fuck that. <laughs> oh, buddy, I need to tell you, that reminds me. Today I'm walking the dog, and I see this little kid, probably, like, 12, 13, Wearing a shirt that says sarcasm question mark me question mark I don't think so and I was like I thought about this for a good 10 minutes whilst on my walk being like now did his parents buy that because he's a sarcastic little cunt and they're like haha this is you or did he buy that thinking like this is funny because I'm sarcastic and he just looks like a right bell end. Either way, he looks like a You know this is a pet peeve of mine. Anybody that has sayings on their wall, on their shirts, on their coffee mugs, any sayings at all, any (laughs) quotes or phrases, anywhere. Don't talk to me until I've had my coffee. (laughs) But yeah, shirts shirts that are like a quip, I probably won't like you in real life because I just think that that is just one of the worst things in the world. Because it, yeah, all you're it saying is. to me is, like, oh, I'm just like, te- like it's it's all that's it's just the, it, I, it's I, just I for it's... them, but I have to experience it. It's like it's like smelling someone's fart. It's like fuck's sake, you're the only one that's gonna semi enjoy that, aren't you? It stinks. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, do you think? And do you think it's also because it's one of like the lowest points of comedy, right? Like, yes. it's such a low bar, and it's never funny. It's, ever. it's never funny. Have you yeah. ever laughed at a little saying or anything? I don't never. think so. No, no, I can't think of one where I've been like, actually, that's pretty good. I've just been like, oh, man, yeah. you suck. The only one I've ever vaguely enjoyed is because our grandmother has a pillow with an embroidered saying on it. And it says, I only golf on days that end with Y. That one's fine. I can live with that. It's on a little. Why is that fine? Because it, it's on a little embroidered pillow. It's not in your face. It's not wet. You're not walking around like a fucking billboard being like, this is my joke. Like, this is ha ha. I, I like, how could you choose that shirt every day? Be like, that's the shirt I'm going to wear today. You know around. what? I'm cool with, if you got a saying on a, on a pillow, I'm cool with that. For some reason. <laughs> that's the only, that's the only place you can have it. If it's, if it's, if the writing is on your actual fucking wall, like someone's like done, uh, like what's the a mural cartography on the wall. Oh yeah. 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 Ugh. <laughs> I used to have that. Most uh, the, speaking of where I used to work, they used to have like all these words to inspire you on the wall. Oh like, my god, work. I would quit. It, oh, it sucked. It really did. I well, hate. I it. remember when with your your ex you used to have "I love you to the moon and back" in your bathroom, and every time I took a piss, I was so tempted to take a piss on it because I was like, <laughs> I was like, I hate this so much. <laughs> I'm gonna piss on your your love and your yeah. moon. <laughs> Okay, so what I'm getting up to, well, first of all, we got some wine drunk on, didn't we? We went to the coast to see our dad. I didn't get we, I didn't get drunk. Oh, I got drunk. The only thing that happened was we all split, three three men split two Diet Cokes throughout the whole day. Yeah. And we, we, walked, 
We walked 20,000 steps in a day and drank nothing but whiskey and wine. And, it, you know, we both had to spend a few days recuperating from it. How are you not drunk? I was walking home because on the beach. Because I am the liquor bud. <laughs> <laughs> well, walking home on the beach was a lot of fun being drunk with you guys. Um, and then finally, I've watched all of Beef on your recommendation. Oh, I haven't, haven't even seen it. all of it yet. I know you haven't seen all of it, but I plowed through it the last uh, two days. And yeah, great recommendation, bud. Love that show. Good show. So, so well written, so well paced, so well acted. I was like, this is some great stuff. Really interesting and uh, original characters. Yeah, like I didn't expect it to go at all the way it went even from the first episode i was like well this is i i found myself immediately being like yeah next one next one like just wanting to watch it all because i was really interested in what was going on in the story so yeah thanks for that i really enjoyed it you're welcome i gotta finish it off i'm gonna stick it on tonight actually you're gonna watch mando and beef all right is there anything you want to add before we jet off um just calm down a bit (laughs) <laughs> you calm down a bit no not you personally Jen, oh. everyone in general Just you know, I've got so hot there I was like you calm down a bit <laughs> everyone out there just you know just calm down a little bit take a break have a, another look at your life is it going the way you want it to go yeah but if you heard this if you were listening to this podcast oh I'd tell myself to shut the fuck up you would wouldn't you yeah you know so... what fuck off <laughs> That's what I say okay, uh, to myself, not to the audience. I'm saying, right, don't listen to me. I'm, I'm, I'm a near 300 pound, five foot five redheaded man living in England with no fucking money. My opinion doesn't mean anything. Go out there. live. You know what? I went out the other day into the sun. I went to the arcades. That's my recommendation. Get yourself into like an old school arcade, play some ski ball, play the crane machine and like get back into nostalgia and if you have a significant other it's a great place for a little date and pretty cheap i spent 20 quid 10 pounds each and we were there for like an hour and a half and we had a great time that sounds nice all right well another words of wisdom from you it's starting to be that at the end of each episode you have a little <laughs> words of wisdom from wobs wobby's words of wisdom hey wobby's words of wisdom wizards <laughs> Okay, well, thank you to Randy for coming on the show today. Greatly appreciate chatting with you and going through all of that stuff and hope you guys enjoyed it as well. And if you want to contact us to ask us any questions or to write in in your Cape Caper scenario, you can do that by emailing batmantaspod at gmail.com. Guess who answers them? Me, because (laughs) Will would never do that. Or you can reach us on at batmantaspod on socials. And please remember to leave us a review on whatever platform you're listening to us on right now. Well, that's all the time we've got for this week. Join us next time where we'll continue talking all things Batman, the animated series. Until then, I've been Alex Robson. And I've been Alex Robson's younger brother, William Robson. (laughs) And remember that we are vengeance. We are the night. We are a podcast. Toodle pip. That's what I had to do last time. And I almost didn't. I almost didn't edit last time because I, I wasted two days of editing yeah, on doing no, I separate it. audio. I was like, I'm you know what? I'm just a wig and life is a nightmare. <laughs> I was like, I'm not going to edit this episode anymore. They can just have it raw. <laughs>
<laughs> and then I heard you breathing deeply, and I heard us being like, hmm, let's take our time thinking about who's going to be what in the Cape Capers, and I was like, do you listen to these full episodes, or do you just skip around? I skip around. You skip around. You skip around, you. You're fucking up our stats. It's like, oh, it dropped off at this point, and I was like, that was my brother. <laughs> what, because I'm why. the only listener? <laughs> the only... <laughs> oh, I actually have stats for you. Do you want to know our listeners? Like, sure. Age, age range and like... Age range. Okay. Yeah, okay. This well, it's probably 30 plus because of how old the show is. Mm, I think so, huh? I'd say our key demographic is uh, 25 to 45 year olds. Okay, let's have a look at our audience. Okay. So, what was your highest guess of age range? It's 25 to 45 is our key audience. That's too broad. You need to condense that down. 25 to 45 is blanketing. All right, 30 to 40 then. 30 to 40 is incorrect. So, what is it? The second highest, 30 to 40. The first highest is 24 to 27. These got. the young'uns listening to the the podcast, huh? That's what these kids are doing. Yeah, and we got... So that's 70... the older Gen Z generation, then. I guess so, yeah. Um, and then we've got... Oh, that's interesting. So age-wise, there's... In that age range, there are more women than men between 24 and... 27. Okay. Which is interesting. Uh, overall, 72% male, 24% female, and 4% non binary. Right. That's cool. Um, artists they're also listening to Queen, nice. Eminem. Nice. Taylor Swift. Not nice. <laughs> Fallout Boy. Fine. <laughs> and Nirvana. Good choice. Uh, and then predominantly, uh, 70% of our listeners are in the US, 20% are in the UK, and then there's 10% that are all scattered around the world, like Turkey, Australia, Canada, Trinidad, New Zealand, Mexico, Denmark, Sweden, Austria, Saudi Arabia, Germany, Chile, Brazil, and the Netherlands. What up to all of our listeners, the 10% in all of those as well. Pretty cool stats, right, bud? Really riveting stuff. Well... I don't see you doing anything like, I, I've missed the slogan game. We haven't done the slogan game in ages. Yeah, well, this is supposed to be a quick podcast, so I'm not going to whip out like <laughs> the fucking history of Fanta or anything. <laughs> All right, let's get going.